0: Welcome to the Future of Email. I'm Dr. Matthew Dunn, founder and CEO of Campaign Genius. We help email platforms grow by giving their customers the power of real-time visual media in their email marketing. We believe that email is the critical civil media channel today for business and commerce. This podcast features the leading innovators in email marketing. Stick around to the end. I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the Cutting Edge Podcast Future of Email. Let's go. It's Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the Future of Email Marketing, and my guest today is Wayne Mullins, founder of Ugly Mug Marketing. Wayne,
1: welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited about this chat today. There's nothing more that I love than speaking of marketing. So it
0: it flips me looking out forward a little, to it. Flips me out a little bit to say good morning, Wayne, because my dad. My dad's name was Wayne and that's my middle name. But, and I don't talk to many of many of many of us, many of you. <laughs> uh, there there aren't that many around. That is true. It's not as, not as common a name. Uh, Ugly Mug Marketing elevator size for for people who are just tuning in.
1: Yep. Ugly Mug Marketing. We are going into our 13th year business. Um, we work with clients uh, at, at the present from coast to coast across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say we're probably, I guess most people would describe us as more of a boutique, small marketing firm. Um, yeah. you know, we work with right now, probably have around 60 to 70 active clients that we're working with okay. and uh, everything from web development to running their entire marketing for them.
0: Yeah. You were telling me when we were just chatting before uh, before the record button, uh, uh, web, social, and then actually a, a hand in non-digital or more conventional uh, uh, forms of media as well, correct?
1: That is correct. Yeah. Those are the three departments. And, uh, you know, what's interesting over time, Michael, is how um, those departments have evolved or changed um, throughout the years. So, you know, early on, web was extremely strong for us as the largest department that we had. Um, Then social became really a big department and now Actually, traditional marketing is actually outpacing growth of the other two departments. So it's just fascinating to see. Um, I think, you know, anytime there's something new that gets introduced to the marketplace, um, all the attention, all the excitement goes to to those things. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to look at the trajectory of kind of the growth or acceleration of growth in our departments, it would kind of match those things. So when Web 2.0, which I know web 3.0 is this new thing, but when we'll Web 2.0 was the thing, right? Um, everybody was saying, you know, you have to have a website. So it fuels growth. Then, you know, the the launch or the the popular growth, I guess you will, of Facebook, everyone's got to be on Facebook and Facebook. And, and now I think what's happening is people realize that um, at the end of the day, it's the fundamentals. That make the difference. It's not the latest and greatest, coolest thing that's coming coming along. It's the tried and true fundamentals that, when applied correctly, make the biggest difference. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd buy that. Um, I was uh, I was chatting with someone yesterday, and and he was opining that um, that we're starting to see a shift, sort of a shift back away from the 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 more um, h- invasive. Social media forms? He said, I think email is going to grow in part because you're seeing people step back from their time investment. I said, I, I don't know if it's that or whether they're getting fractured across many, many social networks, but what's your reaction to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that what I would how I'd answer that is this that I think if we're not careful, we start confusing the actions that we see people taking with the true assets. That they're building. And so, what I mean by that is, um, you know, we, we look at somebody maybe on Facebook or Instagram who does that really well, a competitor. And so, we believe that because they're posting twice a day or three times a day, we see those And we, think, well, if I just replicate that, if I just do that thing, then I'm going to experience the same success that, that they are. And the reality is, we have to look at what is the true asset. So in that case, maybe it's the, the the following the subscribers or whatever it may be. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, that person's really good at taking amazing photos and writing really clever copy, so it works well for them. But for us, based on our strengths, based on our skill set, what could we do to build that same asset out? So, long answer to simply say, I think that for each of us, it's important to examine where our strengths lie. So for us, for our organizations, for our businesses, and then how do we build those core assets that are necessary for any marketing campaign or any marketing strategy to be successful, if you will.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. And, and, and I like the, I like the, you know, the coinage that what, what you see them doing isn't necessarily what's what the, the result you'd get if you did the same thing yeah absolutely. Back back up a little bit, you said 13 years, right? in business?
1: Thirteen oh. years. yeah, absolutely Wow,
0: congrats. that's uh, that's not an easy thing to pull off. How how did you how did you grow? I mean it's so traditional to think of marketing uh, you know, marketing uh, agencies, boutique or not in in metropolitan centers and yet you've got clients from all over the country. And, you know, you've earned them over years, but how did you grow initially?
1: Yeah. So from the very beginning, Michael, this very painful story, I'll I'll spare you all the details, but the initial three years were absolutely horrific, terrible, miserable. Um, Most people would never survive through those years. Um, So that there's that the next three years were, were bad. So the first three years were horrific. The next three years were bad, but from the very beginning I was playing the long game with this company. And what I mean by that is, um, I believe there's really, there's two different types of marketing. Um, There's this whole side of marketing, which is mostly advertising. And I call that the action side of marketing. So that's what the 99% of people do when they think they're doing marketing. They're out there to convince strangers to know about them, to like them, to trust them, to then pull out their wallet and hand them money. And then they go back out and they're spending more money trying to convince more strangers to do that same thing. And so from the very beginning, my approach was this, that marketing is your ability to attract, which is what we just talked about, but then to keep customers and not just keep customers, but turn those customers into evangelists for your brand or for your product or service. And so for me, what that meant from the very beginning was this. We were always going to invest more of our marketing and advertising dollars, if you will, into turning existing clientele into evangelists for our company than we were going out there and trying to find new people. And you know, just for reference, and, and I'm not saying this to like to brag necessarily, to reiterate the point that that this has worked extremely well for us. Um, you know, some of our clients now are referred to us very personally and directly referred to us um, are multiple times, New York times, best-selling authors. They're very large companies. They're CEOs of uh, publicly, publicly listed on, you know, stock exchange, the NASDAQ stock exchange calling us directly. And and the reason for that is simply because we've, we've created this army of evangelists out there Mm -hmm. who, are telling their, their companions, their friends, et cetera, about us and our products and services.
0: Right. Right. And, 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 and what you did for them as well. Right.
1: That That's absolutely right. I think, you know, if I were to point out one other thing that, that I would say has separated us over the years is this, that we don't do long-term contracts with people. Um, I mean, we have the official fancy paperwork and all these things, but, this is the conversation we have with every client when they come in. Um we say, "Look, give us two months within two months, if you don't feel and see the difference, mm-hmm. we don't want you to continue with us. We don't want your money. Um, and so we're very upfront. We're very blunt at the very beginning with the clients about that. And so what that does for us as an organization um, is because now we you know there's it's not just me. there's now actually twelve of us here full time. That mentality though gets pushed down into the organization. Yeah. So they know that if they're not delivering results and they're not delivering results quickly for their clients, they're going to lose clients, which you lose enough clients, it starts to reflect badly on yeah, you as yeah, a yeah, yeah. as a team member. So anyway, those are the two things I think that have really um helped us stand out and survive and thrive throughout these 13 that's, years.
0: That's great to hear. I had a I had a gent on uh on on this podcast. Um Summer maybe Christopher Carr from FaroTech, uh, marketing firm. He's New Jersey based, I think. And he was talking about the upfront investment and process they've got for onboarding a new client. It's like they basically write a book on a new client. He said we're we're underwater in terms of resource investment, time, effort, etc. When we start, why? Because we can't do a good job unless we're that thorough about understanding their business top to bottom and inside and out. And he's got some of the same characteristics you described. You know, like long-term, long-term clients, I'm guessing your client sticks with you for quite a long run. Um, and yep. then they, they 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 pass along the compliment and connect you to others.
1: Yep. now that's absolutely that's the formula. It's but here's the thing that I would say, Michael, is that um, in in the world we live in today, people are always looking for the quick thing. They're looking for the short, fast um, thing. You know what I mean? So that's the difference. This is a longer term strategy. It's a, it's a high time investment. So that's the challenge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is a challenge. And, and it, it, it makes for lean years early on because you're, you're, you're front loading, you're front loading, at least some of the work.
1: Exactly. Maybe, maybe that's exactly lot, right.
0: Maybe a lot of it. Um, how does it feel? To you now to have, you know, 12, 13 people, you know, look at you and and have, you know, and have I work for him in their head that uh, did you
1: envision getting there? Um, the answer is yes, I, I did have that vision. Um, so I'm, I'm a very big believer in setting a vision uh, for the next three years. We have a, an official company vision that's always three years into the future. Mm-hmm. And then we take that vision, we break it down into an annual strategic plan, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then from that, we work on, um, a 12 week cycle. So every 12 weeks, every single person, the company as well has a new goal and three lead metrics that they're driving towards for that quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, so for a creative agency, if you will, um, you know, we're very systematic, (laughs) we're very process driven, uh, detail oriented, Um, which for me personally, I am highly creative. I I hate detail. I hate all those things. So as a leader, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I've had to learn to do is to lean into a lot of those weaknesses in myself so that those weaknesses don't become a stumbling block for the company. company. Because at the end of the day, the only person that's hindering the growth of the company um, is the person that looks back at me in the mirror every single morning. Mm. That is the person That I've got to work the hardest on.
0: Right. Wow. Good for you. That uh, that's a degree of self insight that uh, uh, doesn't always come with the title.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't. I. I mean, honestly, I don't think. Again, if you're playing the long game, you really don't have much of a choice. You know, Um, you can grow something, and we see it all the time. Just look around. Companies that are kind of a flash in the pan, if you will, they sprout up very quickly, and then because they don't have those roots down deep in the ground, yeah. um, the first adversity, the first kind of wind that comes along, it, it just knocks them over, blows them over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or they, or they uh, can't really stick with it with no roots. You can't it's hard to stick with it through the leaner, you know, through the leaner years. Yeah. Right. That's what, uh, that's what uh, I, I think startups and you know, you had a startup in a fundamental sense. We've got to go through that curve. Uh, I got to ask you a side question. The one other job title on your LinkedIn profile was Catastrophe Adjuster. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. So now you're doing the opposite. Or or or, or maybe you're fixing catastrophes in marketing. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I did that briefly. Um, I did that for a year and a half yeah. for State Farm uh-huh. insurance. So I got to travel all over the country. Hmm. And we would be sent in right after a natural disaster hit. Yeah, and we were doing it, doing adjusting, going to look at damaged houses and buildings.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That talk about talk about process driven in a very big in a very big organization. That's a yep. that's a different undertaking. And I'm and I and I'm guessing just from what you said that uh, you yourself probably graphic and visual artist.
1: I'm actually not. No, not I. I'm terrible at. Yeah, I mean, I, I can barely make my way around Photoshop. Yeah, um, can't draw, can't paint, can't can't do any of that stuff.
0: Interesting. So, often, so frequently, um, marketing, particularly agency side, I, I I found people come from sort of come, come from the design roots, and then they have a hard time turning loose of it. So, so what 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 we're What was your strong suit and interest, you know, earlier in life? uh, You know, couldn't have been marketing early on. What what else? I went out of Yeah,
1: well, it actually, it was uh, sales. So sales was my original background. Uh, Right Mm -hmm. out of school, I went into sales and tried to hone myself in that field. And and the story is I I got good at sales after several years and decided I want to do something for myself. Mm -hmm didn't have any other skill but selling. So I started a lawn and landscape company. Mm -hmm. And over the course of a three-year period, I grew that from startup and sold that company three years later. And it was in the course of that growth that a lot of the actual clients of the lawn care company started coming to me because we did mostly commercial work. They started coming to me saying, how are you growing? What are you doing?
0: Um,
1: can Can you teach me? And the answer was marketing that's what we were doing. We were um, marketing. And you know, what's interesting, Matthew, the the way I learned marketing was this. So my background was sales and I did direct sales. So I was used to knocking on doors, walking in, selling stuff. And when you start growing a company, as that company grows, the lawn and landscape company, as it's growing, your time becomes more compressed. You don't have the same amount of time. So what I knew was I had to figure out a different way to effectively sell without me having to be out there knocking on doors all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it was through that process, I really honed in and learned um, marketing specifically direct response was what I, I studied a lot. Copywriting is what I studied a lot. Mm -hmm. And those, if if I had to say my two strengths would have been um, would have been those two things, direct response and copywriting that goes along with that.
0: Interesting. Interesting. And, and, Goes back to your sort of fundamentals comment from earlier, right? It's like because copywriting is copywriting is going to is valuable now is going to be valuable, uh, you know, decades from now as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, wow. yeah. It, it's a it is a skill that I would say um, everyone should learn some of the fundamentals of copywriting, mm-hmm. and, and I think what's so interesting is you know we come through an education system, whatever that looks like. Um, And we think we know how to write when we graduate or get our degree or whatever it may be. And that's true because we've been through those classes, but copywriting is basically sales in written format, you know, salesmanship in written format. Mm -hmm. And it's completely different from what most people think of when they think of writing. Yes. You know, words are words, but learning to structure things and, and the flow and overcoming objections as you're writing it's it's a unique skill that i think everyone can benefit from learning
0: i read i read i read a little blurb around about copywriting a few months back that uh, stuck with me for some reason and 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 the guy said the difference between copy and writing copy and you know regular prose writing if you will is that you've got to be much more empathetic you've got to you've you've got to say what I'm writing for my audience, not to get my idea across Mm -hmm. more emotional, more engaging.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I, I completely agree with that. Interesting.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm I'm guilty of, uh, I'm, I'm guilty of, uh, too much of the academic kind of pros, I think. They're like, stay away from the keyboard. We don't want you doing stuff on the website. <laughs> Sentences are too long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you uh, How did you go up the learning curve of digital? Because 13 years ago, websites exploding and then social coming in, that's, that's a lot to keep up with.
1: Yeah, it is. I think an important lesson that I've learned over time, Matthew, is this, that um, as, you know, so if you think about web, Um, there's a bazillion options with web. Like you you could learn to code this language. You can learn this language. You can learn, there's a bazillion options. So for for me, again, it was about playing the long game. Um, We actually, when we first started doing websites, we began slowly building out our own custom admin panel. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And again, so we picked one thing and we've invested heavily in that one thing. We've, Adapted or or changed that thing as technology has gotten better, we've improved that thing. Mm. And and the same thing with social. Um, So, when social was becoming the thing that businesses were doing, specifically Facebook, um, we made a commitment that we were going to become true experts in that thing before jumping off into something else. So, you know, that would have been late 2015 when we started getting clients, Facebook marketing clients, late 2015. And Probably not long after that, six months, eight months after that, we began having other people asking about, you know, Instagram. There was another platform at the time that was supposedly going to be the big thing called Periscope, and so we would we constantly, even to this day, we constantly have people asking us, you know, about all these new platforms. And the reality is, right now, if if somebody asks us, I would tell them, you know, this is the way we answer. We're phenomenal at Facebook. We're really good at Instagram because it's the you know, the back end of that in terms of marketing, advertising platform, it's the same yeah. back end. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And then LinkedIn is our next one, right? So we've only been doing LinkedIn for a little bit. Um, we're still learning it. We're probably 18, 24 months into it, mm-hmm. but it's not our strong point. So again, don't think you have to come out of the gate and know how to do everything well. Pick one, pick the one that you believe in the most, stick with it, dive deep until you truly are a master or an expert in that thing. Um, again, you know, it's, it's like that analogy from earlier, put your roots down deep mm-hmm. in that one thing before hopping off to the next thing. Oh, so, you know, just for, just for reference, to start this out there for reference, you know, to date, I, I'd have to go back and look, but um, we've probably run in that period, I guess it's about a six year period. We've probably run easily 30,000 different campaigns on Facebook, um, you know, I don't know the total dollars uh, that we have spent. It's a lot. It's a lot of dollars. Yeah. yeah. But again, it's about the depth of that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Wow. And then
0: since it's uh, since it's nominally the topic, uh, the podcast, although we don't always talk about it, where does email fit in the world of what you do for clients?
1: Okay, so in all transparency, Matthew, email is literally a secret weapon. And I'm not just saying that because of the show and the topic for the show. Um, So email is is typically handled primarily by our traditional marketing department. Mm -hmm. Um, Our our social media department does some of that occasionally for some of their clients, but our traditional marketing department um, does it for almost every single client they've got. And we're actually, the department head over there is working on a case study for this client that's been working with us now for about a year um, when they started, they did not have an email list. As of today, they've got, don't quote me on this. I'm I'm probably off. It's around 40,000 people on their email list. Um, And every single time we send out an email on their behalf, money goes into the bank account every single time. And the case study is this, that for every dollar that we spent on building that list, the ROI, in other words, we had to build that email list because it didn't yes. exist. Yeah. So we had to run ads, we had to do all this other stuff to, to build that list. Yeah. For every dollar we spent, it it now produces an eight times return on that investment every single time. <laughs> but here's the, here's the thing, that's a they make a product. Um, they make, uh, they make a fishing lure that's available around the world. It's, it's more popular than the U S some in Canada, but it's global. Um, and, but the thing is, it's true for all of our clients. Um, so we've got restaurants every time we send out an email for a restaurant sales go up that week, yep. dessert places, clothing stores. We've got people in, um, like e-learning continuing education places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know so we build out funnels. So we we use social media to drive them to opt in for an email funnel. They get on that email sequence that's an educational sequence yep. that leads to the upsell. So email, to be honest with you, is a core piece <laughs> of what we do. And I say it's our secret weapon because no one comes to us, Matthew, and says, Hey, we, we really want y'all to do email yeah, marketing for yeah, us.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: They come to us for revenue. And we bring this in the back door because, you know, there, there's lots of reasons. You know all the reasons. There's so many wonderful reasons that email's so powerful yeah. still today.
0: But it but it's it it it's a, it's it's an interesting conundrum about email, and it's 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 actually wonderful to hear the way you phrased it. But you it, know, it, it's it's not the lead. It's usually not what someone comes asking for. I rarely run into marketing uh, agencies who the, who. Top of the list is email, but I frequently run into people who say, yeah, but, you know, that's, that's really the foundation and the long-term best channel, etc. It's like, huh, and it's just old enough as a technology to not be sexy, um, but it's, <laughs> it's ubiquitous and, and you're not paying the piper every time you hit send and a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of other factors.
1: Fascinating. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I would say this. So, you know, the most um, inquiries we've had or the most questions we've had about email came back. I don't remember when the timeframe was, whenever Facebook and Instagram went down for like a day or two. Yeah. And so, all of these people who were so dependent on being able to get their messaging out on those platforms couldn't do anything because the platforms weren't there. Yeah. There was no one there to see it, there was no way they could send it. And so, <laughs> people started asking like, what should we be doing in the event that this happens again? And the answer is you want that audience, which is an asset. You know, people look at their Facebook followers or they look at their Instagram followers and they think, oh, that's, that's an asset. That's, you know, a way I can get my message to the world. And, And that is true, but it's something you do not own. At any point in time, for the stupidest little thing and trust me it happens yep. your facebook account account can disappear yep. your instagram account can disappear mm-hmm. but email list it's yours yes you may have to change platforms because whatever you run into an issue with the platform mm-hmm. but you own that list that is your asset yep. and to be honest with you when you understand that that list that audience is an asset Um, you know, I'm reminded of Dan Kennedy used to talk about this when I was studying a lot of direct response marketing. He used to talk about how, I think it was John Lennon, uh, wanted a swimming pool. So the Beatles, John Lennon wanted a swimming pool. And he basically told, I don't remember which one he told, to one of the other members, he was going to go write the swimming pool. And so in other words, he was going to write a song that would then produce the money for the swimming pool. And to be honest with you, that is what a list can do for any business, any organization out there. When you nurture that list, when you engage that, that audience and big, big picture thing, make sure that you own that. In other words, don't have it contingent on Facebook or it's all on Instagram or it's all on you name the platform.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. like
0: you're, you're, you are preaching to the choir, but it's wonderful (laughs) to hear it from someone who's, you know, who's got their hands in the other, channels as well I mean they're they're complementary they're not really competitive um you know you're gonna grow your email list in part because of your Facebook efforts your email relationship may actually help your Facebook presence and LinkedIn presence and and so on but the only one that you can walk away with and the only one that probably gets factored um, if you're selling your company is your email list because yeah, absolutely doing it yeah, you own it. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. And and yeah. to have it bucketed under more uh, traditional media
1: is actually not entirely surprising to me. Like, yeah. What, what's interesting, though, uh, just out there, this out there. So this week, right, right now as we're recording this, um, our social media department is teaching a three day, it's like an hour, hour and a half a day uh, Facebook masterclass where they're just sharing how to generate leads on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And and here's the, here's the super interesting thing about that. This is taught live on Facebook in a private group that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, but where the vast majority of the people who actually showed up and watched this training came from was from the emails (laughs) that we sent out promoting it. (laughs) Right. So we're teaching people how to how to be better at doing this thing called Facebook marketing, yeah. and yet we're using this other tool that's not as sexy, not as cool, and that's the thing that's actually driving the majority of the people to sign up, and it's in this thing. Yeah,
0: faz- yeah, that's <laughs> that's fascinating. Well, one one of the things, and I mean, you know this better than I do. One one of the things about channels under some other company's control, I don't know, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever, is is that there's no one to one guarantee. I could I could slave for days on a LinkedIn post and it may or may not get exposed to a minor percentage of the people who are nominally followers or nominally connected. So, yeah. yeah. Versus email doesn't mean everyone's going to read every message, but it is going to get to their inbox or promo tab or something like it is going to be in their stack of stuff eventually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yep. Absolutely. And, and, I mean, I'm always intrigued by how how email made the jump to mobile. I mean, arguably the first really compelling mobile device, at least in my experience. A you know, mobile phone, great, I can talk to people, but the BlackBerry was was such a, a revolutionary thing, and it was because it put everyone's flipping email in their pocket. And I, I kind of mm. miss that keyboard still. I don't know if you ever had one. <laughs> <of those. laughs>
1: I didn't have the BlackBerry. I actually had the uh, the first one I had was a Palm Trio. Yep,
0: yep, yep. Yeah. That's yep. the one I had. It had a little
1: stylus that came with had it. A little you stylus, could write on yeah. It. And you
0: had to learn. Was that the one with its own little scripting shorthand yep, that you, had you to learned? To learn? it was short, yeah, yeah, yeah. It. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, it, it's a it's a it's a function of age and experience, I guess. But some of the some of the technology, sort of temporary technology waves we went through, like. I really did all the work to get that down. Wow, does that seem kind of nuts now? Um, but I do miss yeah. that. There was a physical keyboard on the black on the BlackBerry, and it was actually this very curvy device, and you could get to be a pretty decent thumb typist on that. And you know, I've had an iPhone in my pocket for I don't know how long. It still irks me. I still miss type. On the thing, mm-hmm. oh well, I mean, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not tangible, it's not physical. Well, yippee, Yahoo! To hear that uh, that email is is still working in the mix, and that you're you, you help clients sort of get there and build that asset. Are you um platform? You must be a bit platform agnostic as an agency. You must have people come in with system X already in place, or we're particularly good at system Y. Yes.
1: Yeah, that is correct. Um, you know, there there are certain platforms that we're more familiar with, just because you know more people who come to us use those platforms. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it just goes back to um, you know the fact that you own the thing, right? You own that list and those people. Um, the the one thing that I think is important, and you know, you know this, and a lot of your listeners already know this, but when you think of the list it's important to begin thinking through segmentation of those lists. And the way we love to do it is, you know, we love to to segment kind of based on what we would call, we call it the natural progression. Um, And so if you just think of it as a traditional sales funnel, let's think of it this way. You're going to have a segment of people on your email list who know very little about you, right? So they got on the list for, you know, a special opt-in or, you know, whatever it may be. They yeah. ended up on your list, but they don't know much about you. Yeah. Um, you have a whole nother segment out there who knows more about you um, and you want to begin building more trust directly with them. Yeah. So that's a segment where think of it just in terms of they're closer to the point of pulling out their wallet and handing you money. Yep. And then the whole other segment is the segment of people who've already pulled out their wallet, handed you money, yep. and they're on the list. And what I would say one of the biggest mistakes that people make, um, just big picture, is they don't think about the difference between the people who've already given you money on the list Mm -hmm. versus those who have not. Because those two audiences, although it's on one list possibly, and oftentimes it is, the responsiveness and the willingness and ability to pull the wallet back out again. The willingness and ability to share with a friend, to share with a colleague is infinitely greater for those who have already given you money. I mean, there's all kinds of stats. You can look it up. It's, yeah. you know, I forget what it is. Three times easier to sell to somebody who's already bought or yeah. you know, whatever the stats are. But yet as marketers often, we get a little lazy and we just view it as this is our email list. We're going to so, go do an yeah, email thing yeah,
0: yeah, to the yeah. to
1: the thing. Instead of, even if you write the same email, But then you think, okay, I'm going to split this into two emails. I'm going to reword this one slightly differently to -hmm. the people who've already bought their existing Mm -hmm. customers. And I'm going to keep the other one the same way. And then segment that, split that. You know, you have to do the work in terms of segmenting the list, however you do that in your system. But you can then track and say, okay, which performed better? And I I can tell you from our experience, you're always going to get better results from that list of previous customers. So I think a great, great. a great challenge for people. um, And I mean that in a positive, like pro challenge, like this is something you should be working towards is the segmentation of your list between non-buyers and buyers. And then the B part of that challenge is take that email, whatever it is and rework it just slightly for the people who bought. So you want to speak to them differently, right? You're speaking to, people who already know who already trust who already understand you're going to speak to them you're going to use language that's a bit different than the people who have not done that yet Uh,
0: that's great advice it's great advice i i I think i i think i end up referencing uh the same uh retailer story about (laughs) about every third conversation for this podcast there's a there's an outdoor retailer that i've a subscribed to their email list for at least 12 years, like I know at least 12 years and I've bought thousands of dollars worth of stuff from them and they still treat me like a newbie. I'm like, guys, man, are you missing it? Man, are you missing it? Like, I mean, change the tone and, and which is what you're saying, right? As a copywriter, I have a relationship and I, and I don't know you from Adam are very, very different you know, are very, very different takeoff points for what you have to say in your copy. Um, And then get even more targeted about what you put in front of my eyes and the value of your email is going to go up even higher. And and I I recognize the technical and data difficulties in getting there. Like, it's not a trivial thing to pull off. But the fact that at a very basic level, I still get treated like a newbie after 12 years just makes me go like,
1: come on, man. It's a, such a missed opportunity. Yeah. And, and what I would say for those listening would be this, okay, I understand like, you know, you've got a thousand people on your list or whatever the number is. Yeah. It's very difficult to go backwards and try to figure that out. Although yeah. it can be done, Yeah. but make the commitment going forward to say, okay, we're now going to tag people differently. We're going to whatever the system that you use does Yeah. so that going from this point forward, we're going to begin building that separate list for that segmentation of our Big list, if yeah, you will. Yeah,
0: that's that's uh, that's good advice. You know, and it's partially uh, a mechanism and and how you do things, but it's also a philosophical. We're going we're going down this road from the very beginning, recognizing that it's worth doing this. I'm just curious: has the um has the big change in um in email feedback prompted by Apple and their mail privacy protection? Is that has that popped up on the radar screen in your work with clients?
1: No, not really. Um, you know, the biggest effect that that's had for us or, or with us has been on the Facebook side where they began blocking the the through or the yeah. follow of yeah. the app. Yeah. So that has created the issue. So um, we were very heavy users of Facebook for a lot of retargeting stuff. So people sure. hit a website, we retarget. Sure. Sure. And now that that's become a thing that, you know, it's, it's more difficult to do for sure. It's
0: more difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're... One of the realities of digital marketing, I think now, I mean, we're having this conversation in early twenty twenty two, is that as as the as the sands shift in our desire to control data about us individually, privacy for lack of a better label, the mechanisms available to marketers to know what's happening are, are gonna shift as well. And we're just gonna have to adapt and you know, speaking as an, as a person, I'm like Yeah, I'd rather be in control of that myself. I'm fine with that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
1: but makes for work, doesn't it? It absolutely does. But again, I think if we just go back, because again, we're spinning hundreds of plates as entrepreneurs, as marketers, there's all these things we could and should and ought to be doing. But if we just go back to the fundamentals, what are the core fundamentals that make my business or the thing that I'm marketing for that make it tick? Right, and so at some level, there's going to be these assets that exist. So it's the warm, responsive audience. Like focus on the big picture of that. How do we grow that? How do we nurture that? How do we build that? Mm-hmm. Like all this other stuff's going to come and go. Platforms are going to come and go. Yeah. But if we can stay focused on the core, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, Snapchat. It it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we're building that audience, and the question is. Can we build the audience in such a way that they look forward to our communication, that they yeah. look forward to engaging and dialoguing with us? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the other big thing is that what what's going to really separate people as the technology gets more complex is that um, the relational companies, the companies that to go back to your example of the of the the email that you on that you've been on for a long time, and they still treat you as if you've never bought anything from them. Um, Going forward, the companies that are going to win are going to be the ones that treat you as a relationship instead of that transaction. And the tools are in place now, you know, technology is advancing in such ways that it's easier and easier to make that happen going forward. It's easier and easier to customize Mm -hmm. the messaging based on behavior.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not, is it possible, uh, any more um, different levels of clunky aside there's a there's a company in the email space called Litmus you might have run into them like uh, they're they're the masters of proofing what's this going to look like on this device what's it going to look like on that device a wonderful part of the email world i got an email from Litmus a couple of weeks ago with a with the with the do you want to keep hearing from us button in the email it was we're not going to keep sending to you if you don't want to hear from us. So basically, please opt back in. That's a bold move. And a lot of email marketers won't do that. And I'm thinking, this is litmus. They know the space. Kudos for them. And I yeah, I click the yes button because I do want to keep hearing from them. But for them to put it out there like that and say, we're going to treat you as an intelligent endpoint, not as uh, we're just going to bombard you no matter what, was... was it actually improved my relationship with them to be asked, if you will.
1: Yeah. No, I think I think again it goes back to the relationship. I mean, that's a perfect example of they're treating you as a relationship and they yeah. only want relationships yeah. with people who want relationships, right? Yeah. It can't be a relationship if it's one way. Yeah. And and I think all too often as marketers, we have the mentality that if we just show up and throw up that people are going to do business with us. Right. And that doesn't go so well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you certainly can't build evangelists for your organization that way. Yeah. great Right. It has to be relational in order to create evangelists for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there is a, there's a, there's a kind of a needy and greedy side to uh, email marketing and other kinds of marketing done poorly where, once I've got your token, email address, text, text number, whatever, like, yay! I get to keep sending to you no matter what. Uh, right? That, that's 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 probably not going to pay off really well in the long term. And P.S. Don't go buy lists for off the back of a truck. That doesn't work either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I, again, you know, it's almost like somebody needs to write the book of like what your grandfather would have taught you. About marketing in the the 21st century, right? I mean, it's like the common sense stuff that we know. Like, it's not good just to go out and send emails to people who have no idea who you are, or what you do, just because you went and bought a list. Like, how does that? Like, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, if we're in this for the long term, yeah. we have to play the long term game. We can't just be looking at, you know, the 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 quick fix because quick fix typically doesn't last long, right? <laughs> It, it fixes it, and we have to move to the next one.
0: I I I do wonder how big is Alexandria population?
1: Uh, forty five thousand. Okay,
0: I, I do much my, find myself wondering if the best marketers like you and I come from small towns because this, you're not anonymous in a town of you know a forty five thousand. I grew up in a town of five hundred when I was a kid. Like everybody knew your business. And it leads to that it everything is a relationship and everything you do can have an impact on those things. So you better pay attention to it. It's not I'm here. I'm gone. No one's ever going to see me again.
1: Now, that's a super interesting uh, concept or idea. Uh, There's probably validity to that. You know, Um, I can't go anywhere without, you know, there's there's likely going to be a client. Yep. In the restaurant or in the yeah. the grocery store or yeah. you know, wherever you go, yep. um,
0: yeah, that's that's interesting. Or a future or a future claim. It's just that you know it. It's easy to lose that um, sense of the social fabric, especially in larger cities. And I've lived in larger cities, not not voluntarily for any length of time, but um, it, it's sort of easy to 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 forget that even in a larger city, you're actually surprisingly tightly connected in a professional community. You're actually surprisingly tightly uh, connected and that. That's a, that's a great basis on which to conduct your business and your marketing. Hmm. Yep. hmm.
1: We'll yeah. have to, we'll you, have to you do that research. Yeah. Do that I, research. Cause I, I think there's some, I, I do believe there's some validity to that, um, that it, that it is that relational aspect of it. And yeah, That, um, yeah, I I just think, I think you could even take that and, and, you know, do research on the companies who have that mentality versus the ones who are transactional from day one. Yeah. And the long-term consequence of those things. Yeah. I can't, I can't say this for sure. Like, this is my personal story is that the beginning for us, I chose to take this relational approach. Um, the beginning years were terrible and awful, as I said earlier. But over time, it has paid So all those seeds I I sowed, sown, sowed, whatever that word would be in those early days, Mm -hmm. um, have now bloomed and blossomed. And and there's the fruits of those labors, where, you know, there was lots of other quick money that probably could have been made along the way. Mm -hmm. You know, there's lots of hopping on the latest bandwagon and, and doing the the latest and greatest cool thing that we could have done and probably made a lot of money real quick. Hmm. But again, it, it's the long-term game. And I think, that, I think you're right. I think as marketers, we have to be careful that because our job is to convince, right. Our job is to persuade people to make decisions yeah. um, by default. If we're not careful, that becomes a transactional thought process, but I think if we, for me, at least, if we think of, okay, this isn't about the acquisition of a customer. This is about the acquisition of a customer for the point of converting them into an evangelist. I'm going to treat them differently yeah. than if I'm just thinking acquisition, like get the next customer.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. So it, it forces the mindset to think long-term.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 Flips the value value um, polarity of the relationship, if you will. I'm not. We're not having. We're not having this interaction transactionally for what I can get out of just now. It's what what what's the long term for both of us um, together, so to speak. We you know we will stay connected, whether or not we continue to do business. We'll actually probably still stay connected. It 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 can be tough to keep up with. To be fair, um, the the days where you remembered the phone numbers of people you called are long past.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I, yep, I that is true. My, I had to look up one of my son's mobile numbers, and he's like, "What the heck is Noah's number?" Like just punch his name, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, you just need to look for the name. That's, yeah, I think you know. This is this is like this is an oversimplification, Matthew. But I think these two questions are two questions that we love to to tell our clients to ask themselves, to have everyone on their staff answer, And the two questions are this, what have I done to attract a customer today? Mm -hmm. And then what have I done to keep a customer today? And so if you think about any organization, every single person on on the team should be able to answer those questions each day. It doesn't matter if you're in sales, it doesn't matter if you're in marketing, it doesn't matter if you just answer the front phone or it, it doesn't matter the role. Right. Like at the end of the day, every single role exists for those two reasons, to attract a customer and to keep a customer. And so for you know, flipping the script back to us as marketers, again, we're good at asking that first question. What did I do to attract customers today? But the B part of that is something else. We as marketers, we don't need to think, oh, that's customer support or that's customer service or, oh, that's the account rep's job. No, if in the world we live in, every single person with that little device that goes in their pocket or in their purse is now a media company, right? They can literally walk in any restaurant, any store, and in an instant share with the world what they believe to be true about a business. And so with that reality, what are we as marketers doing to keep those people, to convert those people into evangelists on our behalf.
0: There you go. Well, that's it. Th- I'm not going to top that as an ending. That was terrific. That's that needs to be a snippet, a media snippet all its own. Well said. <laughs>
1: well said. Wayne, what a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much, Matthew. I, I enjoyed our conversation. So I love marketing and I love it when people I could tell. understand it and can yeah, can dialogue about it.
0: If uh, if
1: someone's listening
0: to this and they go, oh, wow, we really need to talk with them. They could help our company. Where? Do, what's the best way for them to hunt, uh, hunt you down?
1: The simplest place is just our website, UglyMugMarketing.com. I mean, it's got yeah. links to social emails, yeah. all, the, all the good stuff's right there.
0: All that stuff. I, I'm, I'm As a geek, I'm kind of delighted that websites are, 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 are still where you send people because that, that's, that's how <laughs> I think of it. It's like, because you own that. Like your email address. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That is it. My guest has been Wayne Mullins, founder and head of Ugly Mug Marketing. Wayne, terrific to speak with you today. Thanks.
1: Thank you, Matthew.
0: Hi, Dr. Matthew Dunn here. Thank you so much for listening to the future of email. If you're an email industry exec or marketer and you're interested in being a guest, please apply at campaigngenius.io futureofemail. If this interview was useful for you, please consider sharing it. Grab a screenshot and post it and text it and of course, email it to your friends. If you know someone who you think would be a good guest, tag them in your post and include the hashtag futureofemail. I really appreciate seeing guest suggestions. It helps us a ton to keep the show interesting. We do put out new episodes and new content fairly regularly. To keep up, I would suggest subscribing. Your sharing, your rating, your reviews are the key to promoting to the show, and they mean a ton to me and to the team here. If you want to know more, go to our website, campaigngenius.io slash futureofemail, or follow me on LinkedIn. Search for Dr. Matthew Dunn. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.